What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. If you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face on a Wednesday night at our main Park West campus. Make sure to check us out on social media at Oasis PWC to stay up to date on everything going on here so that you can get plugged in and join the Oasis family. I hope that you enjoy this week's message. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 6. While you turn there, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of tonight's message. It's Personality to Remember. Turn to your neighbor and say, Personality. One more time, wake up for me, say personality. You got to really put the emphasis on the E, personality, personality to remember. There it is, personality to remember. Our opening passage tonight, we've read it a few times over the last two months or so. It's Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We've been talking about it off and on for the last couple months that the world has more than enough opinions right now. What it needs more than anything is hope. And the scripture is so beautiful because it's saying we we are anchored in the hope that we have. And what it says, so it says that it's firm and secure. It enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. What it's saying is the hope that we have is in the inner parts of intimacy with God. It's in this this Holy Spirit-driven foundation relationship that we have with God. That is where our hope is found. So tonight, let's all leave with some extra hope. Let's all leave with some extra encouragement. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still good. My goodness, I'm ready to preach. Personality to remember. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to see where we end up. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that the fire alarms turned off so we could have church. Thank you for your love and your presence that is here every time we get together, that follows us around every day. God, thank you that truly no one has ever cared for me like you. And God, if there are people in the room that have not experienced that, God, let them experience that tonight. In all seriousness, if there's anyone in the room, whether they're here for the first time or they've been here for months or whatever, if they do not understand at a heart level that truly no one has loved them like you, reveal yourself to them tonight. And in a selfish way, reveal yourself to me afresh and anew tonight that I would even experience another level of that, that we would bask in the presence of God tonight. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your precious name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. So that's my wife that's shouting down louder than everybody else. I love you, baby. Thank you for that. We just, uh, we are almost five months into marriage. It's hard to believe that it's been that long, but we are almost five months into this whole marriage thing. So needless to say, we've got it all figured out. If you have any questions, just let us know because we've got it all together. We have it all figured out and we're just, we're here. We're five months in almost and, uh, and it's been great. As you can imagine, there are so many things that I've learned through being married that like from the outside looking at married couples, you just didn't really realize Um, And I can honestly say that I definitely don't deserve this woman. This girl, I wasn't even going to say this. This girl at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night when I'm whiny and OCD and trying to go to sleep, she's using that massage gun thing to get the knots out of my back to help me go to sleep. She's basically married to a 10-year-old and she takes good care of me. So thank you. But one of the things that I've learned through being married that I really didn't see at all and even I didn't even notice it in any other couples until I got into this marriage thing and started figuring this out. And that's that our marriage, our relationship has its own personality. 
Here's what I mean by that. If you have spent any time with me or any time with Livy as individuals, you know that we're both completely crazy, that we're overwhelmingly silly, that 90% of the time we, you don't hardly know what we're talking about because it's just kind of off the wall and all over the place. So if you can imagine when the two of us get together and no one else is around, the majority of the time we're talking in some kind of weird accent. It just happens. Our, our marriage, our relationship, what has settled for us, what works for her and I is to just be silly and playful. So for those of you that have been in our home, you've probably felt that because there's almost an atmosphere to it. There's this wild personality that our friendship, our relationship, our marriage has. Now, when I started realizing this, it made me kind of stop and, and review the relationships that I have in my life and the, the kind of relationship dynamics, the friendships. I've known Ishmael for a long time. He and I aren't necessarily silly with each other, but if I ever need encouragement, he's the one that I'm gonna call and vice versa. So the kind of personality of our relationship is very like, bro, I got you, you look good today, you been going to the gym. Like that's, that's the nature of our friendship, of our relationship. So as I'm taking stock in friendships and relationships, naturally, I kind of paused through a timeout to process what is the relationship personality that I have with Jesus? How does my relationship with Jesus look? Because when I get alone with Livy, I know we're going to talk in accents and be silly and goofy and find rest and laughter there. But what does that look like with me and Jesus? What does that look like with you and Jesus? Is it playful? Is it fearful? Is it compassionate? Do you feel safe when you talk with Jesus, when you think about Jesus? Do you have that kind of no one's ever cared for me like Jesus? I'm going to sit here and cry and bask and just melt in his presence. Like, is it that kind of response? Or are you even on the other side where you're like, I don't know, this whole Jesus thing hasn't really gone the way that I expected it to all the time. And I'm not sure that I'm kind of on those levels. Let's take some stock tonight. Let's take a couple minutes and look at our relationship personality, if you will, in our own individual lives with Jesus. Tonight, I want to do that by looking at three different stories that are all the same people. One of my favorite things about the Gospels is that what's happening is you're literally watching real life people build their own relationship personality with the creator of the universe. God himself has been born as a baby and he grows into this man that then does life with people. So the disciples, the people that are around him, they get to have that same moment where they create their own thing between them and Jesus. And now we get to do the same thing now. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. A little bit of context of what's happened. Jesus is doing his thing. He's, he's out doing ministry and he's kind of really started in this. Sometimes you read through the gospels and it's showing you where he grew up and the, and kind of the coming of age for Jesus and when he gets baptized and, and all these things. By this point, he's really doing ministry. All 12 disciples have followed him. There's a big group of following that believe in him. And what's happened is towards the beginning of this chapter, he sends out 72, a massive group of them. And he says, go love on people, fulfill the gospel, go out here and get people saved, right? The great commission, he starts sending people out. They come back and he ends up in a conversation with this guy who basically asks him, how do I make it into heaven? And what starts as a conversation about how to get into heaven turns into this parable that we know as the Good Samaritan. 
So Jesus tells this story about this man that's left Jerusalem and he's heading to another town. And when he's on his way, he gets beaten up and robbed. Well, all these people from his town pass him and don't give him any time of day to help him and to take care of him. But then there's this guy from Samaria who culturally... The, the people from Jerusalem and the people from Samaria did not like each other. They didn't talk to each other. It was no bueno between them. But Jesus points out that the Samaritan man actually stopped and cared for this man from Jerusalem. To say that the way you love people goes beyond what they look like and whether you grew up in the same town, this is entirely about a sacrificial outreach kind of love. So he paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be hospitable to be loving, to be kind, even to people that you don't understand. And then we get to our current story where we see hospitality firsthand in a real thing, not just a parable, but in real life. In verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. At least that's, that's how he says it in my heart. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So this woman named Martha has invited Jesus and the boys in. That's a great band name. Jesus and the boys have come into her house and she's opened up her doors to bring them in. She's cooked them dinner and she gets all frustrated because her sister, who don't pay the rent, is hanging out in the living room with Jesus while Martha's doing the work. Now, if you've grown up in Christianity, if you've been in the church for a while, you've more than likely heard the story told before. If you've been on version at all, you've probably seen the devotions for it. If you've been to youth camp, you've probably been in a small group about it. This is something that we go back to on a regular basis because what happens is Jesus says, listen, Martha, thank you for what you're doing. I'm glad that you're working for me, all the things, but Mary has chosen what's more important, to spend time with me to be in my presence, not to just work for me, but to spend time with me. Now, because of how many times I have heard this story, time after time, after sermon, after sermon, I almost like caveman-like can read the story and go, Martha bad, <laughs> Mary good. Don't be like Martha, be like Mary. And we can read through this and go through it from that point. But what I wanna point out is that in this very first conversation, this very first scripture that we have of their interaction with Jesus, two very similar and yet completely unique relationships are birthed between Martha and Jesus and Mary and Jesus. Martha says, come into my house. I love you. I care for you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe you are the Messiah. So I'm going to show that worship by giving by there being an action. I'm gonna bring you in here and I'm gonna cook you dinner. I'm gonna let you in my house. Mary's on the other side. She says, okay, you go take care of that. I'm gonna be right here and I'm just gonna listen. And she just basks in the presence of God. Martha's relationship is based on service and worship through action. 
while Mary's the follower, the listener, the companion of Jesus, if you will, it creates a relationship that is based on quality time and worship and affection. Well, we see these relationship dynamics lay out in a completely new way in the second story that we see. I want you to jump over to Luke, or I mean John chapter 11, and I'm gonna kind of give you the Caleb translation so we can move pretty fast. John chapter 11, what's taken place is the Bible tells us that Mary and Martha actually have a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus, the Bible says, is a friend of Jesus. He's not just like the brother of these girls. He and Jesus are boys. <laughs> Lazarus gets really sick, and the girls send word to Jesus in the other town that, hey, he's not going to make it. We need you to come be here. Now, again, these are women that know what Jesus is capable of, that believe he is who he says he is. So they send word to Jesus because they've seen miracles happen. And Jesus, if you will come here, if you'll pray over our brother, he may live. Well, he doesn't go. The Bible actually says that Jesus talks to the disciples about it and decides not to, decides to postpone and to wait. So now you watch the personalities of the relationship start to unfold in a really cool way. You've got Mary, who was right here at the feet of Jesus, the one that was about the quality time, right, the relationship, arguably the one that had the more intimate relationship with Jesus. But then you've got Martha over here, who's the servant, the worker that showed her love through action. So Jesus, after Lazarus has died, he makes the trip out there. And at this point, it's been a few days since Lazarus has died. The Bible says that word goes back to the house where Mary and, and, Mary and Martha were both there. Word goes back to the house that Jesus has shown up. Martha goes to speak with him. Mary chooses to stay in the house. And that stood out to me. When you process that their first interaction was how Mary just wanted to be in the presence of God. But when things went different than what she expected, she didn't even go talk to him at first. But you know, the reality is that's how most relationships work. Because the closer you get to somebody, the worse it hurts when things didn't go the way you wanted. And it's kind of hard to process that sometimes that even goes to your relationship with God. And one point, Mary wants to be right here with Jesus. Yeah, I know there's things to do, but sis has got that. That's whatever. What do you want to tell me? Let's just sit here. Let's commune. Let's hang out. But then Lazarus dies. And the wound that must have been there. Jesus, if you had been here, this, this could have been different. And you didn't. So when Jesus shows up in the town, she doesn't go. Martha goes and talks to Jesus and says what many of us would have said, which is, well, if you had been here, my brother might still be alive. Jesus has some conversation back and forth with Martha, and he says, send word to Mary. I want Mary to come talk with me. So they go get Mary. Mary comes back and says the exact same thing. If you had been here, my brother might still be alive. The Bible says that Mary cries, and this is where you get the famous shortest verse in the Bible. That when Jesus watches Mary's broken heart, Martha's broken heart over this situation, it says that Jesus wept. That he comes to terms with what he already really knew, the depth of the issue, the depth of the pain that was going to be caused, when in the moment they didn't really understand what was going to happen. 
And again, it's crazy to process, like, just like you and me, we have our friendships, we have our relationships. Livy and I have had our ups and downs, and how over time you watch these moments where that relationship personality starts to really form. Where the uniqueness of what we have, the silly accents, the silly jokes, the whatever, the things that Ishmael and I know we can say to each other that are really going to make that day better, that has come with time, and that's come with some difficult things along the way. So Mary and Martha go from, let me work to serve you, let me sit in your presence, to be with you because I love you, to not even hardly wanting to talk to him. And the organicness of that, the realness of that, is awesome. Because it gives hope to the rest of us. That life really does happen. It rains on the just and on the unjust. Sometimes that hurts. But then what happens next is incredible. Jesus goes up to the tomb where Lazarus was. Again, he's been dead for days at this point. And the Bible says, he says, hey, move that stuff out of the way. And he calls to him and Lazarus' homeboy just gets up and walks out the tomb. So then the sisters have a whole new perspective of who Jesus is. And the relationship is taking a hard turn because brother is alive. In the very next chapter, something beautiful happens. Right after Lazarus has been raised from the dead and now the sisters are building this whole new relationship, they go back to Martha's house. Martha starts cooking dinner again. But Mary does something different this time. The Bible says that she gets up and she leaves the room and she comes back in here. And when she comes back, she's got this jar of perfume. She takes the lid off and she starts dumping it all over Jesus' feet. Well, then she bends down with her hair and she starts wiping his feet off with her hair. Well, Judas, who's about to betray Jesus, who has money on his mind already, he makes a huge fuss about it that's important for us. Because what he says is, how dare she do that? That perfume is worth a year's work of work. If they had taken this and sold it, think of how many homeless people we could have fed. And not that he really cared. But he's got the worth on his mind, which points out to us that the woman who started at the feet of Jesus just wanting to be with him, the same woman that didn't want to be in his presence when her brother died is the same one that poured out the most expensive thing they had in worship. And this beautiful ebb and flow of all the uniqueness and the twists and turns of the relationship paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like to actually do life with Jesus. What goes beyond just these, these little moments of coming in on a Wednesday night and like, yes, Jesus, and all those things, like real everyday life through the good and the bad, recognizing and realizing that he is still God. He's still on the throne and he still loves you better and more than anybody else. I want to be like Mary. For the rest of my life, probably, I'm still going to hear that story and think, Martha, bad, Mary, good. <laughs> I've preached the message. I've seen it. And there's a beautiful teaching moment there. But if I get to choose what my life looks like and how I'm remembered, I want to be remembered like Mary. 
I hope that I live a long life and, and one day I die and people say, yeah, Caleb was a, he was a good husband. He loved Livy well. And he loved his church and he served his family. But man, I hope that people say, you know what was crazy was every time I was around him, he just talked about Jesus all the time. And every time I was around him, you just knew that he knew Jesus. And when the doors were open for services, he was there. And there were some times that I called him and he wouldn't answer. And then two hours later, he'd call me back and say, Hey, I'm sorry, man, I was crying in the Holy Ghost because Jesus is just so good. I want to be remembered as somebody that was in love with the presence of God. And if I can be honest, that hasn't always been me. I can get so caught up in the church aspect of it that when I hear that there's another worship service, I'm like, well, that's fine. I'm going to stay home. But there was a time in my life when if the doors were open at all, you were going to find me there. Not because I just wanted to be a part of the team or because I wanted to be known or I wanted to be on a stage or any of those things. Because I was fine with being right here in the floor. Because they would sing and the Holy Spirit would show up. That was all I needed. And it still is all I need. Still is all I need. If you'll stand with me, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. Tonight, maybe your relationship with Jesus is like mine and Livy's, and it is kind of simple right now, and it's playful and silly and, and lots of accents in your prayers. I don't know. <laughs> That's between you and him. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's kind of a struggle right now. Maybe your metaphorical Lazarus has died, and, and you're in a rough situation where there's kind of a trust issue happening right now, and it's hard to just be in, in presence of God and to pray. Maybe you're like Martha and you're, you're working through some things and you're doing a good job at working for God but not doing a whole lot of life with God. Tonight I want to ask you to do two things. I want to ask you to take an evaluation and I want to ask you to take a step. Take an evaluation and take a step. <laughs> the song that Livy sang a minute ago, the second verse says, um, let my children tell their children and let this be their memory that all my treasure was in heaven and you were everything to me. And one day, I hope that that's said of me. I hope that Livy and I have lots of kids and their kids and their kids grow up remembering that crazy grandpa guy that every time they came over, he was singing good, good father and they just got so tired of it. <laughs> It sounds silly, but man, I want it more than anything. That I can be remembered as somebody that just wanted to be in the presence of God. And you know what? That starts with actually wanting to be. So with eyes closed across the room, this hope that we have is based in, founded in, an intimate relationship with God. So whether you've been far off and you're coming back, whether you feel like Martha and you, you want to be more like Mary, quote unquote, whatever that looks like for you, if you would say, yeah, pastor, I, I want to want that. 
I want to want more of his presence. If you just throw a hand up for me and say, yeah, I need that. I want that. Yeah. Amen. 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 God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are, Lord. But as we take a minute to, to declare that really no one has loved me like Jesus. No one has cared for me like that. Let it not just be words that we declare, but let it spark a feeling and an understanding of that. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. We say yes and amen and we invite you tonight. We invite you tonight to take over and to reshape the relationship personality that we have with you. In Jesus' name, amen.